Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 86. Psalm 86. Hear the word of the Lord. A prayer of David. Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my voice, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy toward me. And you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God... O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life, and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. O turn to me, and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant, and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. As we look over all of Scripture... We come across uh, many different prayers, the longest of which is Jesus' prayer in John 17, his high priestly prayer. We also come across Peter's simple and the shortest prayer in the Bible where he cries out, Lord, save me, when he thinks he's drowning in Matthew 14, uh, verse 30. And throughout Scripture, the Lord gives us many examples of prayer. Prayers that we can identify with, prayers that we can emulate, and many of these prayers are recorded for us in a single book of the Bible. They're recorded in where we read today in the book of Psalms. And I know that we as Christians often love to go to the book of Psalms. We, we love to go to these, these prayers because we find that they so wonderfully capture our own emotions. They so wonderfully capture our own circumstances in our lives. They capture the desires of our hearts. We identify with the authors in the Psalms. We identify with David or, or with Asaph as they lay their hearts bare before the Lord. 
as they cry out to the Lord for help. Or perhaps our hearts identify with them as they praise the Lord, as they thank the Lord for His goodness and His mercy. And we pray along with them with thanksgiving. And as we look at this psalm today, at Psalm 86, we don't know the exact circumstances. We don't know exactly what is happening in in David's life. But we do know that David is going through difficult times. It could be that Saul is oppressing him. It could be that Absalom and his horde of rebels are seeking to destroy him. Or it could be something entirely different, something that we know nothing about. But one thing is is certain here. David is going through horrible circumstances in which men are trying to kill him. And it's under these dire circumstances, it's in this great trial that David comes to the Lord here in prayer. And as I studied this psalm, as I looked looked through it, there's there's three aspects of his prayer here that, that really stood out. The first of these is that David begins this psalm. And he ends this psalm. And intermingled within this psalm, David cries out to the Lord to have mercy upon him. He cries out to the Lord to be gracious to him and to hear him. And intermingled with this throughout the psalm, Intermingled with David's cries for mercy are calls and calls of confidence, express, expressions of confidence in the Lord, where David expresses and, and shows confidence that he knows the Lord is going to answer him and that the Lord is going to deliver him. And finally, if you look at the very center of this psalm, three verses right in the middle, we'll see that David spends these three entire verses expressing praise to the Lord. So the structure of this psalm also sets up the structure for our sermon. And our sermon this evening is titled, In the Presence of the King, Pray for Mercy. In the Presence of the King, Pray with Confidence. And in the Presence of the King, Pray with Praise. Pray for mercy. At the beginning of this psalm, David cries out to the Lord, Bow down your ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. David is crying out to the Lord to incline his ear, to come near to him, to hear him in his distress. And by saying this, by by coming in prayer to the Lord and, and saying, Bow down or incline your ear towards him. What David is actually doing here is he's humbling himself before God. He's placing God at a higher level than himself, acknowledging that the Lord has to come down to his level. He's pleading with God to come down to him, to incline his ear, and to to listen to his cry. And David does this, David prays this, because he knows who the Lord is. He knows that our God is a condescending God. Now, when you and I hear of someone who is condescending, it's not usually a positive thing. 
We usually think of that in negative terms. Someone who is condescending is someone who looks down on others. Someone who's scornful of others. Who, who speaks down to others and belittles them. However, when God is condescending, we have to remember that God is better than us. And it's actually a blessing that he comes and looks down upon us. And the wonder is that he doesn't do this with scorn. He doesn't belittle us when he comes down to us. But he comes down to us in righteous mercy and love. He comes down to us to reveal himself to us. He bows down to us to listen to our prayers. But it's also important for us to remember that even though the Lord condescends to our level, and ultimately he did this in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to remember that even though he comes down to our level, God is not on our level. This is important when we come to the Lord in prayer. It's important that we remember that we are his creatures, created by him, and that we are creatures stained with sin. It's important to remember who we are praying to. So children, when you're praying to the Lord, it isn't the same as asking your parents for a snack. And it's not the same as putting your hand up in school to ask your teacher a question. We need to remember that when we pray, we're coming before a holy and a righteous God. A God who is a consuming fire. A God who is all-powerful every everywhere present, a God whom the universe cannot contain, a God who knows all things, who knows our sins, who knows our frame, a God who knows everything about us. But this just makes it an even greater wonder that this omnipotent God, this all-powerful God, the I am that I am, comes to our level bows down his ear and desires to listen to our prayers for mercy. What a wonder that the Lord inclines his ear to such minute and insignificant and sinful creatures as us. How even more amazing that this God delights to hear the prayers of his people. David expresses confidence in it, that this, that the Lord will hear him. And he goes on to state to the Lord, to tell the Lord exactly what state he is in. He goes on to state that he is poor and needy. He acknowledges to the Lord that he's in a poor condition. Now, of course, we know this doesn't mean that he's lacking money. Or that he's poor in a materialistic sense. But this means that he's beat up probably mentally and emotionally and, and physically fatigued. David comes before the Lord acknowledging his condition. And he does this because he knows again who he's praying to. David knows who the Lord is. He knows that the Lord hears the needy when they cry. That he's a God who hears the poor in spirit. He's a God that rescues the downtrodden. Therefore, David comes before the Lord acknowledging his condition to him. It's as if he's saying, Lord, you are a God that cares for the afflicted. 
You listen to the prayers and groanings of those that mourn and are persecuted. Lord, you answer them and help them. Behold, Lord, here I am. I am poor and needy. I am in a poor condition. Please answer my prayer and help me. David continues these cries for mercy to the Lord throughout the next three verses. He pleads, Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In the first verse of the psalm, David was asking the Lord to hear him. But now David is making his his needs known. He cries out to the Lord to preserve his life. He pleads with the Lord to spare his life, to save him from the enemies who are seeking to kill him. And then he pleads with the Lord to be merciful with him, to rejoice the soul of his servant, to bring joy back into his life. Because David knows that the Lord is the great joy giver. David is missing this joy. He's missing communion with God, and he's praying that the Lord would come back into his life and restore to him the joy of his salvation. And he continues. And I want you to actually notice something here when David is praying. He says here, Preserve my life, for I am holy. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, for I cry to you all the day. Make me glad, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I don't know if you noticed as I was reading that, but it seems as if you read this, and I know when when I read through it, the question came to my mind, What is David saying here? He's asking the Lord to preserve his life, for I am holy. He says, preserve my life, for I am holy. Save me, your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, for I cry to you all the day. Make me glad, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And one way this can be interpreted, if you look at these verses, if you look at this verse... Is David here asking the Lord to save him based upon his own faith? Is he asking the Lord to save him here based upon his own merit? He says, like, preserve my life for I am holy. Is he saying, Lord, preserve my life because I've earned it? Is David telling the Lord that he's worthy of salvation based upon his own holiness? Is he trusting based upon his own trusting, based upon the fact that he's praying to the Lord? Why is David bringing up himself here? Why is he bringing up the fact that he is holy and faithful? Does he think he deserves God's attention? Does he think that he deserves a favorable answer to prayer? And at first glance, this may appear to be the case. But again, David is, the real answer to this question, David is bringing 
these things to the Lord because he knows who the Lord is. He knows what the Lord says about his people. And David may not, in fact, and I would, I would think that at, at, in, at this point in David's life, he doesn't even feel these things. He doesn't feel that he's holy and deserving of, of God's favor. In fact, the Lord feels far away from him. But David is bringing this up to the Lord, especially in these circumstances, because David's choosing to believe God's word. He's choosing to believe what God says about his people. He's choosing to believe what God says over how he is feeling. And David knows that the Lord says that his people are a holy people, that they are righteous and holy in the Lord's eyes. He knows, David knows that the Lord answers his people when they cry out to him. So therefore, David brings these things from his own life before the Lord, not as something that warrants, not as something that he has earned, not as, as his own works that somehow deserve God's answer. But David is bringing these things before the Lord in a sense as bringing God's own word, bringing God's own promises about his people back to the Lord. He's reminding God of his promises to save his holy people. He's reminding God that the Lord promises to deliver the righteous from their oppressors. And this is something that, that we can do as well. We can come before the Lord, though we feel that he's far away, though we don't feel his nearness, and though we see all the sin that is that is staining our lives, we can come before the Lord as his people, pleading with him to remember his covenant promises, pleading with him to have mercy upon us. The remaining verses in this psalm where David is praying for mercy are verses 6 and the last two verses of Psalm 16 and 17. And David says here, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. O turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good, that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Again, here, David is asking the Lord to hear and to answer his prayers, to have mercy on him and save him. But he asks for something different here as well. He, he says, and he asks the Lord to show him a sign for good. David is asking the Lord to give him some evidence of his favor, evidence that even here his enemies can see, so that these enemies would know the Lord was on David's side and they would be ashamed. David's asking the Lord for something to look for, a sign that could encourage him, a sign that could tell him that everything was going to be okay. He was looking for evidence of God's goodness and favor to him. Now, whether David received this, the psalm doesn't tell us. Was there a sign given at this time? We don't know. We do know he was delivered. We do know he was not killed at this time. 
But David was given a token of mercy. He was given a, a sign in his life, a sign of greater mercy and greater good, a greater sign of God's favor than what he's asking for here was given to David. A greater sign of God's favor was given to David and also given to us as believers. God gave himself as a sign to us. God gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the greatest token of good, the greatest sign of his favor. And it's ultimately here because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did, that the Lord could answer David's prayer for mercy. And it's ultimately because of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood payment that he made, the perfect life that he led, the relationship between God and man that, that he restored, that God can hear and answer our prayers for mercy as well. And it's because of this sign, because of this token of God's favor, namely his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we here today can boldly and confidently come before the throne of grace. Hebrews 10, 19 tells us that we can boldly enter into the presence of God. Again, not because of who we are, not because we deserve it, we can confidently come into God's presence because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rent the veil of his own flesh, so rending the veil in the temple so that we can boldly enter into the presence of God. We can draw near and make our requests and our prayers known unto the Lord. It's because of Jesus Christ, because of the mediatorial work of Christ, that we can pray with confidence. And we're going to see here this in a, in, a, in a moment with David. David comes before the Lord confident that the Lord's hearing him. Not only confident that the Lord's hearing him, but also confident that the Lord will answer his prayers. And we too can have this same confidence. Already in David's petitions for mercy to the Lord, we've seen his boldness. We've seen his confidence expressed in the character of God. But it really comes out now as David directly expresses his certainty and faith in the Lord. We'll see this verse in, first in verses 5 through 7 where David exclaims, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those that call upon you. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, and you will answer me. David is sure. He is confident that the Lord will answer him. And how does David know this? Well, he has experience. We know from his many experiences in life, the Lord has delivered him many times. He prayed that the Lord would help him against Goliath, and the Lord did so. He prayed that the Lord would help him in his fights against the Philistines, and the Lord did. But more than his experiences, I think that David is confident, excuse me, David is confident in the Lord that the Lord will hear and answer because he knows and he believes God's word. He knows the Lord will help him. 
because the Lord says he will. Now, in David's day, David's Bible consisted of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. But we do know that David spent time reading and meditating from the law of God, that he loved the word of God. We see this especially in him writing Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible, in which nearly every verse David is expressing his his love for God's word. And here in this psalm, we know that David is believing and trusting the Lord based upon his word. Because David here brings God's word back to him. David proclaims here that the Lord is good, ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy. In verse 13 and 15, David proclaims that the Lord is merciful, full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? That's because these aren't David's words. He's quoting from Exodus 34, verse 6, which says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. There is no doubt as David is going through this trial, as men are seeking to kill him, that he was thinking of these words from Exodus. David was praying the Pentateuch. He was bringing God's word back to him. He was praying the word of God. And David was confident in the midst of his prayers that he would be delivered. He was confident because of his God. He was confident in God's word. For him, God's word was a sure foundation, a solid rock that cannot be moved. I want you to notice a word that David uses three times here in this psalm. All three times it occurs in verses in which David is expressing his confidence in the Lord. It occurs in verses 5, 13, and 15. And you've probably heard this word explained to you before, but it's so powerful in how it's used. The word here is the Hebrew word hesed. And it's translated Uh, It's it's translated in our Bible as mercy. But there's actually a lot more meaning to this word hesed than our English language can quite comprehend. Hesed is a covenantal word that's better translated as loyal love or, or a steadfast love. It refers to God's mercy or love that he unconditionally commits to his covenant people. So in order to make it a little bit relatable, children, I want you to think of it as marriage love. When two people get married, they commit to one another, that they will love one another and care for one another through sickness, through trials, through poverty. No matter what happens, they promise to love and care for each other. They commit themselves to the other person. And this is what the Lord does here with Hesed love. He covenantally commits himself to loving and showing mercy to his people. And so David is here 
praying, he's believing by faith that the Lord is abounding in this covenantal love, that the Lord is abounding in this Hesed love to him, and that the Lord's Hesed love is toward him. And it's because of this Hesed love, it's because of this that in the midst of his trouble, David can continue to pray with confidence, and he prays here, teach me your way, O Yahweh. I will walk in your truth. We see David's hope expressed here. We see his expectation here that he expects that he's going to survive this trial that he's in. He expects that he will continue to learn and continue to walk in the ways of the Lord. What's happening here is David is looking beyond his circumstances. And his view has been changed in such a way that he's looking to the innermost desires of his heart and he's praying these desires to the Lord. His prayer has, has gone from more than deliver me from this predicament, O Lord, to Lord, work in my heart. Help me to, to, to walk in your truth. Help me to continue to, to grow in grace. David prays that his heart would be more united to the Lord, that his heart would be more united so he would fear the Lord more. How amazing that in the midst of his enemies trying to kill him, David is praying that he would grow more and more in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, that he would become more and more free from sin and be entirely united to the Lord, and to live perfectly for him forever. And David's optimism in the Lord, David's certainty and confidence in the Lord continues in verse 12 and 13 where he says, I will praise you, O Lord my God, and with all my heart I will glorify your name forevermore, for great is your mercy toward me. And you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. David knows that he will praise the Lord. He expresses confidence that the Lord will deliver him from this situation and that the day will come where he will praise God's name, where he will glorify God's name forever. He knows that this will become a reality for him. That even that this horrible trial that he's currently going through will, won't destroy him, but that the Lord will ultimately deliver him and bring him to be with his Savior. There's so much hope here, so much confidence displayed by David. It's remarkable what the Holy Spirit can do in the lives of saints. Saints that are in the middle of life-threatening situations. That the Holy Spirit can come and so strengthen his saints, so help his people to continue on. Though the ground seems to be crumbling beneath their feet, Yet the Lord gives his people the strengthening faith, like David here, to walk forward by faith. And so this covenantal faithfulness, this hesed love of the Lord, this is David's hope here. And this is our hope as well. This God of David is is our God as well. This covenant love that the Lord had for David, he has for us here today. This covenantal love is active here today. 
And we too, as God's people, we have the same access to God. We too can pray, pray confidently. Not because we deserve to be heard. Not because somehow we've earned the right to be heard. Not because we're holy in ourselves or have prayed enough or because we're miserable enough or we've done enough penance. But we can come before our God with humble confidence because our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in our Lord. Our confidence is in what he says. We can be confident when we pray that the Lord hears us And he answers us. I think it's important that we're continually reminded of this. Continually reminded that the Lord is listening. Continually reminded that the Lord does answer our prayers because so often it seems that the Lord isn't hearing us. So often it seems that the Lord isn't answering our prayers. Perhaps... We've been praying for something for years. And the Lord doesn't seem to be answering. In fact, maybe it seems like he's not listening at all. And this can be especially true when it comes to praying in the middle of great trials that we're going through. Or for the conversion of loved ones or even praying for revival. It often seems that these prayers continue for years, and there seems to be no answer. But this psalm encourages us about prayer. It actually encourages us that this isn't the case. It encourages us to see that the Lord does hear us. The Lord does answer us. It doesn't tell us that the Lord will answer all of our prayers exactly like we think they should be answered. It doesn't tell us that the Lord always says yes to all our prayers. After all, no is still an answer. But the psalm does tell us that the Lord does hear his people. It does tell us that the Lord does deliver his people and answer our prayers. He just doesn't always answer them exactly the way that we anticipate. So where in this psalm do we see the Lord's answer to David's prayer? Psalm 86 is David's prayer. It tells of his struggles. It tells of the dire circumstances that he's in. It tells of his life being threatened by wicked men. And we know ultimately that David lives. We know he dies of old age. So we know the Lord delivered him from these wicked men. But does this psalm give any indication that the Lord is answering David's prayer? Well, I want you to take a look at verses 8, 9, and 10. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, neither are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. What David is doing here is he's praising the Lord. 
So we have to ask ourselves, how is it in the middle of his life being threatened, how is it possible that David can be singing praise to the Lord? It's because the Lord is answering his prayer. The Lord is turning away David's eyes from himself, or from himself and the troubles that he is in. And David, or the Lord is turning away David's eyes to focus more on the Lord himself. He's taking David so that David can look on the Lord with eyes of faith and seeing that, the God, that God is sovereign over all. That God is sovereign over all the nations and that God is going to bring all the nations to come and worship before him. David becomes less focused on himself. He becomes focused on God's works. He becomes focused on what God can do and what God will do. And this is the Lord answering David's prayer here. The Lord is encouraging David and helping David. This is the Lord strengthening David so he can continue to persevere through this trial that the Lord has placed upon him. Here at this time, the Lord may not be delivering David from his enemies, but he is answering his prayer. In verse 4, David asks for the Lord to rejoice his soul, to make him glad. And this has certainly happened here. David is glad. He's rejoicing in the Lord. And David has been so encouraged and helped by this point in praising the Lord that he can, the verses we've already gone through, verses 11 through 13, he can look forward, expectant that he will grow in the grace of the Lord, expectant that he will continue living his life for the Lord's glory. David has hope for the future. Isn't this often what the Lord does in our lives, in the lives of saints around us? He gives us the strength to continue in the trials we're in, the endurance to persevere. And he does this not just by giving us arbitrary physical arbitrary mental and emotional strength, but by giving us his grace, giving us the eyes of faith so that when we're in our trials, we can focus on him, giving us the eyes of faith to depend on him, to exercise our faith in him, and ultimately, even in the midst of difficulties, to praise him for who he is and to praise him for his wondrous works. This is the wonder that I often see. And I know you often see it too. I'm sure there's maybe some in this congregation, saints going through unbearable trials, saints going through unbearable difficulties. And though they may not see it themselves, or we see the Lord giving them unbelievable grace. We see the Lord helping them and encouraging them. We see the Lord giving them grace in time of need. And isn't it often the case that we're in great trials and tribulations, in times of need, that the Lord comes close to us. The Lord has communion with us, that while we're in prayer, bringing before him all of our needs, our prayers for mercy, in which we're pleading for mercy, turn into prayers of confident expectation, prayers of looking forward to the future. 
and inevitably into prayers of praise to the Lord. This psalm provides us with incredible encouragement to pray and to persevere in prayer. It teaches us to humbly come before our God, boldly pleading with him to hear us and answer our prayers for mercy. And this prayer also shows us what praising the Lord in prayer looks like. But in closing, I want to focus a little bit on our own individual prayers and see what this psalm also teaches us about our prayer life. The fact is that most of us struggle in our prayer life. We often feel that our prayers are dry, that we have little to pray for or little time to pray. We find ourselves repeating the same usual words. We feel that our prayers lack heart and are just a formality. We feel that our prayers are unoriginal or that we can't concentrate while we are praying. These are common struggles shared by all Christians, for prayer is spiritual warfare. Prayer is hard work and takes discipline. And if our prayers being heard or answered were based upon our efforts, it's based upon the eloquence of our own prayers, the length of our prayers, the spirituality of our prayers, the originality of our prayers, none of them would be heard or answered. But this psalm provides encouragement for those of us who struggle with praying. In another way than has already been mentioned, although this prayer is special, David's prayer is found in the psalms, It is, after all, just an ordinary prayer. There's nothing really extraordinary about it. David doesn't say anything original here. That hasn't already been said in the Bible. There's nothing new in this prayer. In fact, much of what David says is just from elsewhere in Scriptures. What David is doing here is he's recalling to mind what he knows about the Lord. He's recalling to mind those scripture passages that he knows. He quotes verbatim almost Exodus 34 verse 6 and part of 7. So this tells us that we too when we come before the Lord with our simple and ineloquent prayers using words the knowledge that we have using possibly different passages of Scripture to help us pray, we can know that when we bring our inadequate prayers before the Lord, that we come before Him as the children of God, that our mediator in heaven right now is praying for us. He's taking our inadequate prayers and making them perfect. And we can know that the Lord is hearing our prayers and that He's answering our prayers. We can know that when we pray, the Holy Spirit is taking our imperfect prayers, our prayers that are still infected with sin, and presenting them perfect to our Father in heaven. But we can be confident that when we do pray to the Lord, when we do bring our prayers to the Lord, that He hears 
each and every prayer. And that he answers each and every prayer. So I want us to be encouraged this evening as we go into this week and we all face our different circumstances. That we know we can come before our great God. That we can be confident that he hears us and confident that he has hesed love for us and cares for us. And that we can confidently and expectantly bring our prayers before our great God. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we can come before the creator of the universe, the I am that I am, and that we can bring our broken and inadequate prayers to you. Lord, we pray that you would teach all of us to to pray, that we would grow in our prayer life. But, O Lord, that our hope would never be in our own abilities to pray in the words that we speak or say, but that our trust would be in you and your hesed love for us. For you are so good and so kind and so merciful to us. So, Lord, help us in this week to live our lives for your honor and for your glory, to learn more and more about you, and to grow in grace and knowledge of you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.